Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Gambling sponsorship has grown significantly, especially in the sports sector. It creates a lot of debate both within the industry and the general public. Increasing legislation and controls means that both rights holders and gambling brands need to ensure they work more closely together to ensure the integrity of both brands. And as such, gambling brands are increasingly looking to blend their sponsorship with their wider corporate social responsibility. So in this episode, we speak with Ed Owens, Chief Marketing Officer at CrownBet. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston. Welcome to episode 31. It's awesome to have you joining us wherever you are in the world. First, though, as usual, our MD, Mark Thompson, joins us to chat about reporting to sponsors, and that's because it's come up a number of times over the last few weeks. So as part of a little series that Mark's kicked off, Mark outlines four key principles to set the foundation that you need to follow, those principles you need to follow to ensure good reporting. Here's Mark. Mark Thompson, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. They say it's reporting season somewhere in the world at any point in time. Is that true? <laughs> well, it's reporting season all the time, <laughs> if you're doing it properly. Yes. Uh, so, but the reason we're here to talk about reporting is because over the last couple of weeks, you've, it's come up a few times as a few of our clients move towards end of season and they feel a bit of pressure about reporting and, and some of our clients are a little bit new. So they've moved into some roles and they're a little bit new at doing this sort of stuff and they've been leaning on you as a great, fountain of knowledge <laughs> yes i mean and with this report is, is is um this blog sorry is is part of a two-part series because it's it's all good just to tell people how to write a report and what should go in it but but there's some foundations that need to go into knowing why you're creating a good report so um i've decided I, you know I, I sort of analyzed the sort of conversations i was having with people um and broke it down into you know, you've got to get your principles right, and then once your principles are right, you can move into creating your report templates. And you know, it's not rocket science, and it's, it's definitely no point in recreating the wheel every time. So, if you can get the right foundations, and reporting is actually not as stressful and arduous as some people make out. Few, yeah. So we've got some principles. How many are there? Four. Oh, nice. And yeah. what's the first one? So understanding decision making. Right. So, um, what I mean by that is. When you when you're pulling together reports, a lot of people look at it from what what do we want to get across? Like what do we want to tell people? That's kind of the wrong way to approach it. So, um, what you're trying to do by your reports is actually um, make it easier for the for the person receiving the report to understand the effectiveness of the of the partnership, um, and and even then report it up the chain. So, what you need to um, try and do is put yourself in the in the sponsor's business to to what sort of stuff they want to know and and how decisions are made within a business, not within a rights holder, um, and, and put yourself in sort of that mindset because if you can understand the person you're dealing with and what that information they want and why they need it, um, you'll, you'll sort of start off in a really good headspace to pull together some nice reports. Is it r- fair to say you should just ask them what they need and what would help them? 
definitely if you if you haven't worked in that space before and and worked on the brand side and know how things work and, and you've just been on a rights holder side of the fence 100 percent, you should just be having conversation with a few trusted sources within your portfolio mm. yeah. and and i think you know a, a guy i used to work for once we used to start every single meeting and he'd ask the client what do you want to get out of this meeting mm. and the person would talk you certainly don't want to be sending off reports if uh, the person who's receiving the report, your sponsor, is hoping that they're going to get something yep. so that they can do their job better and it's just not in there. Yeah, and, and from a transactional point of view in sponsorship, the, the, per, the people that are at the receiving end of the deliverables are most often not the decision maker mm. around the sponsorship. So um, you, you're actually working with that person to try and create effective reports to, to help decisions Get made in a you know in an easy and effective manner, and present stuff to those people, which is going to help drive the partnership forward and take it to new levels. But different people are probably going to need different elements in a report, correct? Yeah, there's pr- probably four key organisations which will need um, a bit of tweaking depending on who you're reporting to, only because of um, what they need to see in a report and why they need a report. I thought that was going to be the greatest segue ever. I was going to say different people, to, and you were going to say, and that brings us to principle two. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I need to work on my delivery. Yeah, I, well, I was just smoothly rolling into it. We didn't need to sort of highlight it. We can move into principle two So now. principle two. Yeah. Um, understanding the type of business you're dealing with and, and who the report are aimed at because as I just said there's four different types of, of you know key headstone type um, companies that are out there that generally sponsor and they operate differently so they're going to need different things right exactly right and some of them are governance based some of them are, are sales based and some of them are a mixture of everything so um, you know the four that personally I've come across the most in my, my career have, have been those the member owned organisations so you're thinking um, things like um, superannuation funds and, and people like that who are owned by members and they basically require a full audit trail of all the benefits that they've purchased mm. to show that they've used them in a manner that they um, have purchased them for. They've used it for business and not personal reasons so that they can fully equip member funds um, to being for the promotion of the of the business to try and drive greater member dividends and back to their superannuation. Is it fair to say that before we made the point about, you know, ask the sponsor, make sure you're giving them what they want, yeah. that they're the ones, those member organisation ones that would welcome that with open arms and give you the most direction? Hell yeah, because that, this is a massive pain in the backside for them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking to one at the moment um, with, with sponsor and, you know, the quarterly external audits from a, a big four company um, that are, they've got to pull together proof of delivery um, they've got to pull, pull together, you know, value of delivery and, you know, um, they've got to pull together and show some sort of return on investment at a quarterly level. They almost do more reporting than the rights holder does back to them sometimes, like as a general rule to sponsors. Well, well, that's kind of the point of this whole blog is mm. that it, that's what the reports are for. They're not for you just to give it to them and they stick it in their drawer. They're actually for them to, <laughs> not. to help them with that process. So if you know you've got a member-owned organisation, one of the best things you can do to service that partner is help them with their quarterly reports, not just do one a year and then be reactive when they ask for information. Know that's coming and, and give it to them prior because they're going to love you for it. Very good. So member-owned organisations is the first one. Private companies. Um, you know, the most common, probably the easiest to 
do reports for. I wouldn't say the easiest to manage in terms of sponsorship. <laughs> Careful. But, um, the easiest to do reports for. So, I mean, generally these people are just looking to align benefits to broader objectives, um, utilising sponsorship as part of their marketing mix, generating sales, using sponsorship for, as a means to an end. Um, so, you know, that they, they, you know, the others, not to say the others don't do that, but these, are, they're looking for a report which is fact-based. This is what we, we you bought. This is what we gave you. This is what the reach was. This is how your objectives were achieved. And this is what it meant for you at the end of the day. That's, it's pretty straightforward. Very good. Okay. And then public companies. So very similar to member-owned organizations. They have a bigger emphasis and responsibility to an audit trail, um, and acquittal, um, so that they can show appropriation of shareholder funds. So very, very similar. They're publicly reported um, as well so that any, you know, um, tickets or hospitality that are used for personal use um, is really a no-no. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's sort of all of those benefits need to be shown to be used appropriately. You know, if they've purchased a, an advert in a program, a photo or, a, you know, some sort of proof that that actually happened to be reported back if requested, you know, all this information is public information. So if requested, that's the sort of stuff that, that they need to have ready to deliver. And the next one looks interesting, the last one? Well, government. So government, again, is kind of a mixture of both. So the government need to acquit spend based on certain sort of program KPIs. So they will have a link to objectives and stuff like that, um, but they'll also need to link the spend to achievements. And sometimes those achievements are literally just doing activities. So it could be, you know, if you give us the opportunity to talk about our program to your audience, here's some money. Or it might be if you help, you know, keep drink driving amongst your member base below, you know, one, three, <laughs> three thousand people, um, then <laughs> that's a lot. Well, the world's biggest, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, we'll give you some money. So it's, it's, you know, the government have KPI linked funding requirements. So your reporting to them will be very different. And especially when you're looking at like, um, tourism based if you're a major sporting team or a major event or you know an art, an art exhibition or something and tourism based stuff the the funding um, will often be linked to economic impact and then governments will have a formula to outline what the economic impact formula is that they use to, to sort of prove effectiveness so you'll need to include all those sorts of things in your reports. So those first two principles, understanding decision-making and understanding the different organisations that you have to report to, are very much focused on the on the external, the, the, the sponsor. But there is some internal considerations, correct? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, having a solid reporting process can actually help you internally. So, you know, if you, if you regularly are preparing reports for your partners or just for internal reporting for yourself up the chain in internally, then you can build a process which not only becomes efficient and saves you time when reporting comes along, it actually can help you um, track how you're going and delivering goals and helping your partners achieve their objectives and help you set KPIs for yourself and help your, your business set their targets and find you know, actual achievable and you know, accurate financial targets and, and also set things, use reports to actually set staffing strategies and things like that. And the reports actually provide just as much information for you internally around how your program is mm. tracking as anything else. 
should do everything for a reason, shouldn't we? That's right. And principle four is reason. So there's that's yes, what you call it. Because you missed the segue yeah. for principle yeah. three. So just if you were following along at home, yeah. principle three was the reporting process. Yeah. And the very smooth segue and transition into principle four is the reason. So why are you delivering a port? So as we just mentioned before, um, one of the questions I ask of those people that do come to me asking how they build a nice report is, well, why do you want to do a report? Now, the more inexperienced sponsorship, people will say it's for renewal. Now, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, if you're waiting till now, you're you're doing your recap report with your partner. Well, what if your report's way off? Well, but if you're, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a bit late. <laughs> but just put it in your own drawer and leave it. <laughs> but I mean, for me, reporting is about assessment and setting a conversation around how to strategically move forward into the next year. So it's okay. This is what we did. Now, how can we collaboratively um, build on that or change that to move forward for objectives? Renewal should just be a totally separate conversation. Mm. Renewal is a sales process, not a not a sort of acquittal process. We, could you take the approach of saying, here's the report, we've kept it on track, we've been talking, this is nothing new to you guys, yeah. but this is a report for the end of this season or financial year or whatever the period is, and using that as the catalyst for the conversation to say, hey, if we delivered exactly the same next year, would you be happy or does it need to increase or shift focus? Exactly right. And, and you can even do the same with a midterm report. So, you know, you can you can review where you've been at halfway through a term, a year or whatever it is, and, and you can set strategy to stay ahead of the curve in, in, with changes of your partner. So it gives you um, the ability to generate positive sentiment and trust with your partner if, you, if you're generating good reports. And, you know... Um, Basically, you know, reporting is about information transfer. Some people really like really nice, fancy artwork done up reports to, to sort of look pretty and look professional. Um, but if you're speaking to a really frank organisation and they're just looking for facts and they don't present that internally, you're better off spending the time giving them the information that they need to drive the partnership forward than spending the time on, you know, making things look, look pretty. Do some sponsorship managers hide behind the artwork in a presentation? I don't think they hide behind the artwork, but I think they they um, definitely lose focus of what reports are about when it's when they, when they look great. It's not like you you know you do an assignment at school yeah. and you're like I've got to make the cover page look awesome. This will really help my grade. <laughs> Correct. The teacher like just flicks straight past it and gets yeah. to the introduction. That's exactly right. And and sometimes you've got a really good report and you just make it so generic that it's just everyone you just print off twenty five copies and give it away. <laughs> But um, I, I think the best reports are a balance of both. You know, stuff that has artwork which actually encapsulates a visual representation of what happened in that period that you're reporting on, um, but also then has the factual evidence that you need to show that you're doing a good job or to set a baseline to do a better job. Is there an element of... <laughs> I don't really know how to phrase this, chicken and egg. Like you've got to, you might not know exactly what you're going to report on, but you should have a little bit of an idea because if you want to capture artwork, photos, evidence for the end of the year, you can't do it once all of that's passed. So do you need to put some thought into what a report might look like for a certain sponsor? I, I definitely would have a template of, of and different options that you you know, it's like a CV. Let's let's talk about it. You know, on a subject that everyone will understand, a CV. Most good. Recruitment agencies will tell you to have a master CV and then c- cut out bits and pieces that are not relevant to that 
yep. job that you're applying for. Reporting's the same. So you have you have your big template, and then you just don't use elements of it that you don't need. Very good. So we've got the foundations set with four principles, that being understand the decision-making that's happening within your sponsor's organisation, yep. understand what type of organisation it is that they are, what they need, and what they need to achieve with a report. Look at your own internal reporting processes to help support what you're trying to do externally with your sponsors and make sure you understand the reason that you're actually doing the reports. We've got those foundations set with those four key principles, which means we can move on to the next blog in the next episode, which will be all about what? What to include um, into it, what features are included in a good report and you know both stuff that is and isn't needed, but uh, what your template kind of could include. And for our worldwide listeners that hang on every word that you produce for us, how many sleeps until that comes out? Um, um, what date is it today? The 28th. So I'm, I'm talking, I think, the 4th of Very good. Fourth of April, All a right. week a week from today. Until then, thanks for joining us. Cheers, mate. Ed Owens is the Chief Marketing Officer at Crownbet. Ed has extensive experience leading teams in the wagering, tourism, leisure, entertainment and media sectors. And that experience has included senior roles with DMG World Media, Bridge Climb and Betfair. Now at Crown Bet, Ed joins us to discuss how they have used and will continue to use sponsorship in what is a crowded market while at the same time ensuring they are a good corporate citizen. Here's Ed. Ed, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be here. We always kick off with a few easy icebreaker questions and, and just to sort of help the, the audience uh, get to know you a little bit better. And the first question is, if your house was burning down and you could only take one item with you, apart from your family and your pets, what would you take? What would be the first thing you'd grab? Um, a photo of my Group 1 winning racehorse. <laughs> and what was its name? Armstrong. Very good. A good day that was. It was a great day. One of the yeah, one of the better days. <laughs> as a horse race owner, uh, as a horse owner. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Very that's good. Uh, the, the second icebreaker question is: What was your first ever job? Uh, my first ever job. I'm old now, so it's hard to think back that far. <laughs> Probably sweeping the floors of my father's bookbinding factory. Bookbinding factory, wow. Yeah, yeah. printing bookbinding joint. Yeah. Uh, not very exciting. Um, and uh, uh, it didn't last that long, actually. I got the sack pretty quickly. I didn't have the, um, I didn't, I, I, I couldn't master the art of monotonous tasks. Uh, so he replaced me with my sister reasonably <laughs> promptly. I think it, I went, ended up working at a petrol station after that. What's it like getting sacked by your own dad? Oh, well. Yeah, no, it was all right. Just relief to get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, look, let's give the listeners a bit of a lie of the land with a, a description of CrownBet's business, and and then it would be great if you could outline what sort of sponsorships CrownBet currently has in place. Yeah, sure. Um, well, we're a wagering company. Um, uh, it's a pretty well exposed uh, category in Australia, extremely competitive, so I'm sure most people would be aware of the key players being the TAB, um, Sportsbet, William Hill, Ladbrokes, um, uh, Bet365, very, very prominent, particularly in the sponsorship world, um, uh, and then of course the new kids on the block, Crownbet, so um, it's online wagering we are, so basically... 
basically uh, we'll take bets on any sport or event, um, and it's a, a purely online mobile business. So um, that's, a, that's the space we operate in. We don't have a retail presence. The TAB has that exclusively. So our space is the digital space. And we launched about oh, two years ago, I guess, um, March March 2014, that would be, would it? Um, and it's been pretty rapid growth since, despite the competitive nature of the business. Yeah, um, really, there's a, there's a, there's a barrier to entry in the marketing cost of circa $100 million per annum you spend above the line. So, um, and that, that gives you a sense of the scale of the market and the competitive very yeah, very good. And I think we'll dive into some of those those points that you touched on there a little bit later. What about um, just a, a general, you know, just line item rundown of the sponsorships that you have in place? Uh, we have uh, well, we're a key partner of so in a in a more technical sense of a of a broadcaster called Racing dot com. So there's plenty of uh, activation uh, sponsorships around country race meetings, etc. Tied up with that, there is uh, also we are sponsors of Country Racing Victoria. Again, uh, that is a series of sponsorships around race meetings in the regional areas uh, where we activate heavily. Um, uh, then we have more traditional or, or, or more sort of easier to understand sponsorships, such as um, NRL, where we sponsor uh, West Tigers, Cronulla, and um, now Canterbury Bulldogs. Outside of that, we are the official wagering partner of the AFL, so the biggest code in Australia, I guess. We are their uh, core sponsor. We don't sponsor any independent clubs. We preferred to do our deal with the AFL with the AFL itself, and that is a uh, massive sponsorship with a, a lot of money. It gives us first rights to all media and broadcast, but it also gives us the ability to um, activate or be active at grand finals, the finals, any event really we, we want to be. So um, uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and then there would be a host of another, let's say, 50 minor sponsorships of, of, of small sports clubs and community organisations outside of that. So sponsorship clearly falls in the realm of marketing and you would have a range of other marketing activities that you head up as the CMO there at Crownbet. But what percentage of your time would you estimate you spend on managing, looking after, activating, seeking new, re- renewing sponsorships each month? Uh, more than I would have thought I do, to be honest, when I uh, kicked off my career in this category. I, um, in previous lives, it was uh, it wasn't as a prominent part of my roles, but I would say twenty five percent within Crownbet. It is a big part of what we do, um, particularly with sports clubs. Clearly, being a, a sports betting company, sports clubs are a very very important part, or, or sports organisations or codes are a very important part of our business and the consumers of those sports. So, so why I'm interested about why it's more than what your perception was it would be before you started. I think that was just a legacy thing. Um, um, previous categories I've worked in, media being one, um, tourism being another, um, uh, sponsorships were pretty passive. Um, we didn't activate as hard uh, as we do in this category. Um, sports betting is all, all about getting consumers to register with you and become clients 
in the digital space. So become members, and the best way to do that we've found is is um, is face to face. And these sponsorships sponsorships give us that opportunity. Um, uh, so that that that's why I'm so close to it, I guess. Yeah, so of getting, course. Getting stuck in and maximising every opportunity takes takes a lot of time. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. And, and w- would you say, you know, you estimate that you spend about 25% of your time a month activating the sponsorships and focusing on the sponsorships. Do you think that's roughly in line with your overall marketing spend or is it under proportion or over proportion? It's over proportion. I think um, the category being what it is, as I mentioned earlier, um, is, a, is, a, is a pretty strong fight um, in terms of brand growth and brand awareness. So you spend a lot of money in broadcast media which kind of skews what would be the normal mix of a of a of a modern business and um, I think that um, our sponsorship is probably sitting at about it would sit at about fifteen percent of our or maybe just under of our annual budget but as I say it takes up twenty five percent of our time and we've got a we've got a team of four now working solely on sponsorship so. you you're the official betting partner of the AFL but then you as you mentioned before, but you also are an approved betting partner of a number of other sports. Explain to the listeners how those two titles differ. The AFL sponsorship is a partnership in its true sense, so it gives us a, a primarily first rights to um, uh, first rights to broadcast media, so it gives us first rights to say Channel 7's coverage of the AFL, it gives us first rights to Foxtel's, it gives us first rights to uh, radio broadcasts as well, um, and present digital assets. Um, the other sponsorships are with individual clubs. It's really, um, and most of them are below the line as opposed to above the line. We're not massively chasing overt sponsorships. We're very aware of the presence of wagering companies in stadia and on the back of jerseys, etc., and the negative connotations uh, that. Uh, that go along with that in the current climate where there is, you know, probably a saturation of wagering advertising around sports. So we're trying to be a little careful with um, how we tread there and respectful. Um, uh, uh, so those club sponsorships are more so about physical activations, whereas the AFL one is more about the right to um, media. Does that make sense? No, absolutely does make sense. It's yeah. So CrownBet's a relatively young brand. What, how important has sponsorship been in your overall marketing and, and helping you gain market share? Oh, very important. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, we are a solely digital business. Um, these associations with clubs in terms of sponsorships um, uh, bring our brand to life. So it gives us a strong association with an actual physical happening and we can get up and close in a nice and gentle way to consumers of those sports. Um, I think that that's the, that's the key point around those sponsorships. It, it brings our brand to life. gives us the opportunity to bring our brand to life. And when, you're, you, and when you're considering a sponsorship, what really makes a rights holder stand out in terms of how they begin the conversation with you and pique your interest? So you look at you know an approach and say, that piques my interest. I want to have a chat to them. What's what what stands out? Their ability to align their brand to ours. So um, uh, um, it's probably as simple as that. Actually, how how will their brand will align to ours naturally and in its current state, and how it will help our brand grow? The other two, the other two key things I think um, outside of hygiene hygiene factors like 
memberships and um, uh, digital assets, etc. I think there's a nice, really nice and attractive piece that sits purely in the heart of uh, brand alignment. And, um, uh, as a rule, that's what's got us across the line with most of our with most of our partners. And is growth your overarching driving ob- objective that you just mostly focus all the elements or the benefits that you get in a sponsorship and the activation of those benefits? Are they all just purely focused on growth or or are there other objectives that you're either generally looking to achieve which help then flow on and support growth or just help with, with other elements of the business? I, I think in our current state it's about growth, but... Um there are a lot of other nice benefits, clearly, that we like. So um, a, a, fa- a favourable association with a strong brand um, has multiple benefits, benefits, positive benefits to us in terms of our brand resonance. So clearly there's all that nice and tangible stuff that, that goes with it. But um, we are currently looking to grow and grow quickly, and, um, uh, and that's what these sponsorships are about. At this stage, I think with, as we grow and develop and mature this the way we look at sponsorships will also will also change to be more focused on um, on the brand on the brand side of things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really insightful uh, comment, and it's a it's a, it's a point I would like to drive home for the listeners is that just because you start, you know, you might sign a five or a ten year uh, sponsorship deal with a rights holder, that just because it started with the objective of growth and maybe one other objectives doesn't mean that your business doesn't change over a period of time and you need to revisit those conversations and and see how the objectives that Crownbet or any other sponsor might be have changed too and then therefore need the rejigging of their benefits to help them achieve those changed objectives. Yes, I mean, absolutely, and the, the best partners we have um, see, see it that way and um, have teams dedicated to growing the, and, and evolving the partnership throughout the, throughout your tenure, and and that's down to a month-on-month basis, to be honest, um, uh, with the good guys. So <laughs> that, that's what I've noticed in that space. Yeah, it, it does... It does shift it from a, a, a transactional feeling sponsorship to a true partnership, doesn't it? Absolutely, and that's um, and that's another. I mean, uh, you talked, you asked earlier about um, what you, what we find attractive or what we look for in in, in partners, and um, that's probably I was probably probably should have mentioned that also that um, uh, a spirit of partnership is also vital so um, someone that's open to driving the relationship and and helping us get the best out of it let's go back to growth that's a that's an objective that's at the the front of your mind at the moment you're a young company growth 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 what are the benefits that you crown better generally attracted to activating what are those benefits that you think work best to help you achieve that objective of growth at the moment for us, it's about novel novel activation concepts at events, pre-event generally, where uh, consumers can easily engage with our brand, be it, be it kicking our footy into a giant-sized premiership <laughs> trophy. Um, but, of, of course, what we're looking to do is two things. We're trying to reward our current customers so they can engage with the activation um, um, just, just by, by being a member. But clearly, also by signing up um, potential clients to Crownbet, so that then they can participate in one of the activation, maybe. 
and um, uh, it's all about signing up customers, acquiring customers, and that's what we focus on. But doing it in a way that's enjoyable for the participants. So um, uh, there's nothing worse than someone handing you a form and asking you to fill it out for a, <laughs> for a stubby holder or something. Yeah. Not, 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 not the way we roll. Of course. So, I mean, these, a lot of the rights holders, and particularly you mentioned clubs like West Tigers, Cronulla and Canterbury Bulldogs, they've got sizable databases. Does that mean that you don't focus on trying to get your message through email databases and their social channels and you're more focused on those novel activations or is it still a mix? No, no, absolutely, it's a mix. Uh, the digital stuff is fantastic. I've, I've found, though, traditionally that in our space, you can't beat face-to-face. Um, clearly, we love the IP that comes along with clubs, so the, the rights, the, the, the ability to access players, to access player images, club logos, um, uh, all of those sorts of things are vital, and, and also any content that we can produce with clubs that we can feed both through our social channels and vice versa, our content through their social channels is a big part of what we do. We often hear discussion, particularly amongst rights holders, around whether a short or a longer-term sponsorship is better. The thing that strikes me about that topic is that they often look at it from what is best for them. They say, oh, we prefer longer partnerships or we prefer shorter partnerships rather than what is best for the sponsor and the brand. What's CrownBet's preference for, for length of partnerships and why? Do you like to go short and keep extending it or do you like to go for longer partnerships and, and manage them as they go? Oh, Again, I think it's, it's got a lot to do with um, the quality of the partnership, how it's evolved. If your sole, if our sole goal, of course, was activating a, a certain club's client base, well, it's going to be over and done with after a season, for instance. But if it is uh, based on the broader leverage of a successful sports club brand and the goodwill that brings to ours, then the partnership essentially is limitless. It could go could go on in perpetuity. So um, it's it's a it's a pretty simple thing, really. Um, and a lot deeper than just purely metrics up front. For the the listeners, because clearly, you know, building a relationship with your partners, looking at what needs to change, approaching it as a true partnership, and being flexible and having conversations with with each other is clearly uh, a key factor of success. How do you actually approach it? Do you set standard meetings every so often or is it just you guys talk to partners when you feel it's right and you need something from them do you actually manage that you know really stringently or is it a bit more fluid no i think it's pretty i think uh, one thing that we've learned and we've and a great thing that's come out of the afl partnership is they have a a sponsorship or a partnership management team which is first class and we try to, in our other sponsorships or partnerships, mimic the structure and rigor that they put into the exercise. So um, it's 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 very clear. It's uh, in terms of um, regular meetings, regular um, reviews of results versus KPIs, and um, regular opportunities to reevaluate and change direction. Um, and we try to plug those things into every partnership we do now. Um, I think it's very, very important that it's not just 
uh, my my natural place to go in in all things is a very fluid and laid back way, but I don't think it necessarily is the best approach uh, mm. for sponsorship. I think regular communication and the ability to pivot change um, is vital. Very good. And and you spoke about IP before when we're partnering. Well, we, when you're partnering with clubs, spoke about IP before. Betting companies often use humour in their marketing, poking fun at teams and, and players, and some people might perceive that some of those those jokes and that fun are pretty close to the line. Do you ever worry that you might offend a sponsor or overstep the mark when you're poking fun at somebody that's attached to their organisation? Yeah, we, I mean, uh, one of our core differentiators um, in terms of competitors, so our category is that we simply do not, we don't take that path. It's something that we set up and stipulate up front. We believe that as a wagering company uh, that works closely with sporting bodies that we need to respect both the players and the club brands, and we do so. So any advertising we do will always be respectful and try to promote a certain code in the right way. So it's it's about respect, I guess. And um, uh, for that reason, we don't really have an issue with it. In fact, um, I am surprised that there's not a greater backlash at the way some of the wagering companies approach um, and mimic and take the take the piss for instance. Oh, me too. I'm a hundred. Uh, I, like I just cards, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm shocked when I see yeah. some of it. I go, yeah. oh wow. Yeah, yeah. No, not, not a place. Not a place we play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we've been lucky enough to see your impressive studio down there at Crambat. How do you use it to help activate partnerships? And do you work with rights holders closely on the content? Uh, you know, either developing it or producing it in your studio, or do you? Is it more of a okay? We want to produce this. The rights holder says yes, that's fine, and you go and uh, develop it independently. Uh, no, we, we like to work for, with the AFL, for instance. We have um, uh, regular content we put out in partnership with them. Uh, racing is a big part of um, of the studio, so we produce a lot of our racing preview shows and review shows and uh, through there, and, of course, we produce a lot of social media content, um, which is probably its core purpose these days, and a lot of that content is uh, supported by our, by our sponsor partners. So... Um, we get a lot of the rights to, you know, the IP I was touching on earlier, to use the, the players and the images uh, through, through through the clubs that we sponsor. So it's a, it's a big part of it. Yep. And as the official betting partner of the AFL, and the AFL is playing at venues that might promote rival betting partners or being shown on networks that incorporate other betting partners are part of their content as well as in ads in between shows and things like that. How do you manage the challenge of your message not getting diluted and positioning it properly? Is it mostly through those activations, those quirky, you know, engaging activations? No, yeah, that, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Yep. It's no more complex than that. I think um, we take a very simple approach. We make it very, very clear what we are and what we stand for at the start, and we try to play as big a part in controlling um, uh, the look and feel and tone and manner of whatever activation we engage in. So we stay very, very close to it. And the community, we touched on it, I think, earlier before, that the community is often wary of alignment of some brands to sports and entertainment that 
children are highly engaged with. We've seen changes in cigarette sponsorship, alcohol sponsorship, fast food advertising, those sorts of things. We've seen brands overstep the mark a few times over the years, which causes public backlash. How conscious are you internally at Crambet of making sure that you balance that properly as a good corporate citizen, even though others might not? How do you actively manage it when a rights holder who clearly wants to attract you as a sponsor almost opens the cupboard of benefits, so to speak, and says, you guys can have whatever you want? How is it? How do you actively manage not going, yes, we'll, we'll take all that stuff because we can make use of it, but then know that you might be overstepping the mark with activating it? Uh, we are very, very conscious of um, the impact of wagering advertising um, on sports broadcast and also live sports events. We don't do in stadium um, signage, for instance. Um, we believe that uh, people should be able to go to these events and enjoy them, uh, and enjoy them as they have done traditionally, without having wagering brands smacked all over the place. And um, I think really that the, the Temptation of going for the quick kill is a very short-sighted view and one that will probably see further restrictions put around how wagering companies can activate and advertise at events and on television. And we support we support any rules to rationalise wagering companies' abilities to um, uh, to go too far in those spaces. Yeah, of course. I think it's a good approach. So clearly the the, the, the activations and the engagement with people around the events is, is key. Talk to us about what one of your favourite activations has been as part of sponsorships with Crown Bet. Why did you like it so much? And, I mean, I think I know what you're trying to achieve in that sign-ups, but why did you yeah, enjoy yeah. it so much? What, what, what made it great? I think the uh, grand final last year we had a, a 35 35-metre tall tower called the Tower of Torp. Torp is our, our brand colour. Um, we had a giant-sized Premiership Cup uh, trophy and um, customers and new customers and uh, consumers in general got to go up to the top of the tower. There were a couple of AFL legends up the top and kicked the ball into the cup. They kicked the ball into the cup, we had tickets into the grand final to give away on the day. Oh. Um, so so um, it was fantastic, and it was the queue. The, the queue was was a kilometre long to have a go. Um, it was far far removed from the from the from the world of um, sports betting. It was just a bit of fun. Um, people loved it. The legends loved it. The TV guys loved it. Um, uh, it, was, it was it was just just added excitement to that whole grand final atmosphere pre-match so it, um, uh, I think it was by far the best activation we've done to date and sort of set the mark for what we're going to do going forward. Yeah, it's did you really good. did you look to create content off the back of those lines and, and trying to kick it into the cup either with live Facebook streaming or interviews or just little clips of people winning? Did, did you try and extend it that way or was it just an activation on the day for those people that were No, there? no, we've got a yeah, we've got a sizable social team. We had um, um, we were clearly filming the entire time we were activating. Um, we've got a pretty good studio here where we were Fixing up and editing the content and, and continuously getting it out there, so that was a, that was a core part of it actually. Um, and we've found of late too that it's um, a very very effective way to 
drive engagement into activations is through social prize. So it becomes a, uh, a start point. So um, the two work beautifully together. And if you can get them working together in harmony, the impact of the activation or the sponsorship is, is far greater. Of course, makes complete sense to me. Um, Ed, do you think sponsorship is likely to decrease in terms of you know maybe percentage of, of business and focus? Do you think it's likely to decrease or stay the same or increase as part of your overall marketing at Crown Bet? I think in our category and our business and where it's at, it will, be, it will increase. I think uh, undoubtedly, and I think it'll increase you know ten to fifteen percent over the next three or four years. Ed, if people want to get in touch with you, find out more about CrownBet, what can they do? Uh, it's as easy as going to our website, um, uh, crownbet.com.au, or give us a call. We're very open and friendly people, and we're keen to talk to anyone at any time. <laughs> very good. Ed Owens, Chief Marketing Officer, thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at CrownBet. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Thanks again to Ed for his time. I, I certainly found that chat interesting myself, and I think there was lots of great insights from Ed and CrownBet, and I think... There was also lots of interesting advice for not only those who have to manage betting partners, but that those insights are fairly applicable across multiple sectors. I certainly think it's interesting that CrownBet take the lead, so to speak, on responsible ways to activate. And there are lessons for a number of different sectors that you might have to be managing, uh, which come under the microscope from time to time, like junk food, soft drinks, things like that. If you'd like to connect with Ed, then search for him on LinkedIn or head along to Sponsor where you can find the show notes. If you want to connect with me, then you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email using daniel at sponsorv.net or on Twitter using the handle at Sponsorv. And of course, you can connect with Mark Thompson on LinkedIn as well or email using mark at sponsorv.net. Also, don't be afraid to get in contact. Let us know where you're listening from. If you've got any questions, suggestions for topics or guests, uh, it would be great to hear from you. Uh, we'll endeavour to accommodate, and I'll also give you a shout-out on the next episode. So get in touch. If you aren't already, be sure to subscribe to receive all our content straight to your inbox. Simply head to any of our blogs or podcasts at sponsor.net, fill in the subscription form, and we'll deliver that content to your inbox each and every week. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to Sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.